let me invite you, and in, in, uh, in just a moment we're going to turn to Scripture, but if you have your cell phone close by, grab your cell phone. You don't have to like, dig through your purse or anything, but, but if you have it, uh, grab it. There's a picture on mine of, of one of my little grandkids there, and then I click on this. Oh, my boys on the golf course come up. That's a good picture, and there's a, oh, there's a cute little picture of Cindy in there as well. So what I want you to do is whatever, I don't know if it's Instagram or Twitter or whatever, I want you to go there, and I want you to start uh, following Jesus. Why are you confused by that? Isn't, that? isn't that how we follow? That wasn't even really all that great of a joke, was it? It was really, it was really like, thank you for just adamantly shaking your head no in agreement with me. That really was well below average. Uh, silly point. Following in our day and age uh, means something radically different uh, than what Scripture calls us to when it calls us to follow Jesus. If you're follow, I would venture to say, who, who's willing to be a guinea pig this morning? Who has, who ha, who follows folks? How many, how many people do you follow on your? Do you have any idea? I have no social media. You have no. Well, then you're not going to help me. I need. <laughs> I <laughs> Peggy, can I pick on you? Sure. How many, how many people do you follow? I think I follow well on Facebook or Instagram. Or sure. So, I mean, maybe two hundred. Two hundred. Do you know all of them personally? Are they all good friends? Right. Right. So I, I follow some people that I know, and mostly it's to look at pictures of cool places they've been that I haven't been to yet, or it's fun stuff they're doing with their kids that, that I don't happen to be doing with, with my kids right now. But I say I'm following them, right? But there are a lot of people that I also follow. I've never met them, and I'm never going to meet them. Uh, my sons are always, they're, they're both avid golfers. I don't know where they got that. Uh, and they love hockey too. It's so crazy how they, they, they in, embrace those. But they'll say, Dad, this, this guy or this gal is a great golf rider. You ought to follow them. And so I'll pull it up on my, on my phone. And after about two hours, I finally get there. And then I'll start being one of their followers. But if I walked up to them on the street and I said, hi, I'm Tom Ricks, I'm one of your followers, they would be creeped out by that. They'd be like, who is this guy? I need to get away from him. We got to think a whole lot differently than we think of the word follow in the modern context. Jesus is calling everyone who believes in him to not stop there just with a belief, not just with an intellectual and a heartfelt understanding of who he is, but to actually line up behind him and to follow him into the places he wants us to go. And where Jesus is asking you to follow isn't necessarily where he's asking me to follow, and where I'm going is not necessarily where you're supposed to go, but we're all called to actually follow him a little bit different than our Twitter account. So this morning, what we're going to do is we continue to introduce our fall sermon series. We're going to look at a couple of passages in Mark's gospel, uh, in Mark chapter 1 and in Mark chapter 3, where Jesus gives us a, a good working definition of what it means to follow him. So we're going to look at Mark chapter 1, uh, verses 14 through 18, and then we're going to look at Mark chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. Hear the word of God. Now, after John was arrested, and that John is John the Baptist, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, which is the northern part of Israel, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting their net into a sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets, and they followed him. Then Mark chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. 
speaking about Jesus, and he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed 12 so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Let's pray together. I'm going to invite you to just take a, a moment of silent prayer and ask God to speak to you this morning, then I'll, I'll pray collective, for us collectively. Lord Jesus, we have uh, lifted our voices up in praise to you. We have sung some amazing songs about your mercy and your grace and your compassion. We've said that it's better to, to have one day in your court than a thousand somewhere else. Lord, we long for that to be a reality of our lives, not just a song that we sing. Father, you know our hearts and our minds. You know that, that uh, we, would, we love to follow you and trust you, but Sometimes we fail at that. Sometimes we just flat out decide we're going to go the other direction. Uh, sometimes we, we give uh, the right words, but our hearts are very, very, very far from you. Sometimes we stumble. Sometimes we get it wrong. Lord, following you is, is not complicated in that it's not hard to understand, but it certainly is hard to practice. And so we pray that as we study your word, that the transforming power that resides in your Holy Spirit and in your word would do its work in our lives. Father, I pray for every disciple in this room that you would uh, create within us uh, a growing desire and a, and a growing aptitude in following you. And Lord, for those who are here this morning and don't know you, they're maybe thinking about Christianity or, or maybe they're here, a friend invited them or they, it's their custom to come and maybe have a good experience on Sunday morning, but, but there isn't the notion of following in their hearts. Lord, I thank you, first of all, that you bring all kinds of folks together. I thank you uh, for people that are here that are believers and people that are here that, that are not believers. Lord, I pray specifically for those that aren't believers that they would hear your voice this morning, that you would speak faithfully into their hearts and minds, uh, not just so, Lord, that we would know more, but that our lives would be transformed and changed. Father, forgive my sin. Please don't let me stand in the way of your teaching today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so I believe that, that Scripture, and in particular the two passages we're going to look at this morning, give us a very distinct paradigm for discipleship. I think Jesus offers that. I think he, he's going to paint the picture pretty clearly uh, for us. And when we apply that, when we take what Jesus says and say, okay, I'm going to seek to make that a reality in the way I live my life, I think we get a pretty clear picture, pretty clear pathway to following him. There are a lot of things that some of my friends do for a living that I will never begin to understand. I'm going to pick on my friend Brant Bowman who's here this morning. Brant Bowman got an engineering degree and he works at Boeing and he does all this cool mechanical stuff. I will never in a million years understand that. A friend over here, Steve, who's an architect. I love what he does. I could never do that in a million years. I'll never be able to wrap my mind around it. And you could probably think of things, you're like, boy, I really wish I was good at this. I really wish I was good at that, but I'll probably just never grasp that in my lifetime. Not so with following Jesus. It isn't hard to understand. It's not difficult to grasp. It's pretty clear. 
but it's tough to enact in our lives. We need God's strength and power to do that. And so we want to begin to uh, dive in a little bit deeper. We did kind of an introduction last week. We want to dive in a little bit deeper this morning on what it really means to follow Jesus. We're going to use three words to describe it. The first is faith. The second is actually the theme for the series, which is following. And the third is friendship. Let's talk about faith uh, for just a couple of minutes. If you go back to Mark chapter 1, Uh, we read about Jesus stepping onto the stage of his public ministry. So John the Baptist, up until this moment, has been kind of the voice of of, um, um, a sense of spiritual renewal. He's been calling the nation of Israel to repentance and to re-engaging with God in a very genuine way, but now John's been arrested. And now Jesus is taking up the mantle and he's beginning his public ministry. You think about when somebody starts on a public journey, all the different things they could say to define themselves. We're about to go through tremendous suffering in our country for the next 18 months until the election is over a year from November because we're going to have to listen to message after message after, I don't care if you're liberal or conservative or somewhere in between or neither of those, you're going to hear a lot of messages where people step onto a public stage and they say, let me tell you what I believe and why you should follow me. And then they'll begin with whatever topic that is most important to them. And we'll kind of sit there and take notes and try to figure out what we're supposed to do. Jesus is stepping onto the public stage and he's telling, he's saying, let me tell you what's the most important thing you need to know about following me. And he speaks first and foremost about faith. So Jesus comes and he says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. And then here's how he defines faith. Repent and believe in the gospel. The first recorded words of Jesus' ministry call us to faith. And the first word he uses is repent. Now, a lot of definitions out there about repentance. Uh, Probably the most common one that folks have heard is that you're going in this direction and repentance is actually stopping and turning and going in the opposite direction. And as far as it goes, that's a good definition. I think it's a bit incomplete, but it kind of gets the conversation going. Repentance from a biblical perspective is actually life-giving. Repentance in a biblical perspective is actually fundamental to your spiritual health and my spiritual health. I'm going to go to a verse in 2 Corinthians. Paul has written two letters, uh, of which we know, to the church in Corinth. And in the first letter, Paul is getting after them. He's fussing at them. They've, they've got some things not just kind of wrong. They've gotten some things pretty badly wrong. And, and there's a lot of sin going on. And so Paul calls them out on it. In the second letter, when he responds, it's kind of a letter that says, way to go, you've done some good things. And as he's writing this letter, he remembers that he has been fussing at him. And he says to him a couple of verses before this one, I know that I wrote you hard words and I hurt you, but I'm not sorry, I hurt you. Not, be, not like a sibling would say, uh, yeah, I hit him and I don't care. If I had a chance, I'd hit him again. Right? We're not talking about that kind. Of, but he said, I'm not sorry I hurt you because I know it would do you spiritual good. I knew it would lead you to a healthier place. And then he says this, the godly grief, and he's encouraging them because they've had godly grief. Godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. What's the difference between godly grief and worldly grief? Let's talk about worldly grief for a second. You want a picture of worldly grief? The best one I can give you is in the gospels. The man who betrayed Jesus, Judas Iscariot. And when Judas betrayed Jesus and he saw what was going to happen to Jesus, he was filled with remorse, human 
earthly, worldly remorse. He genuinely was sorry that everything had worked out the way it had worked out in the part he played in. So he goes to the temple. He throws the 30 pheasants of silver at the at the feet of the of the Pharisees I don't want this money and he goes and grabs a piece of rope and he finds the closest tree he can and he hangs himself that's worldly remorse it's filled with despair it's filled with regret it's filled with hopelessness and if you're experiencing that this morning that's not godly remorse that's not godly sorrow that's worldly sorrow because there's there there's no hope in it the reason we go to repentance the reason that we have godly sorrow, which is acknowledging that what we've done is sin and, and we've turned from God, is because God says, when you repent, I offer you and I give you life. It's actually the pathway to renewal. So repentance is not remorse. It's a sense of gaining life through forgiveness in Christ. And this repentance is actually a day-by-day fundamental need in our lives. This is not like Christianity 505. This is some basic 101 kind of stuff. And in the book of Hebrews, the letter to the Hebrews, the author there is also kind of fussing at folks because they're not growing up in their faith uh, quite the way he thinks they should. And he says, therefore, let's leave the elementary doctrines of Christ. In other words, you should already know kind of the, the basics. Let's go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and a faith toward God. But he's saying there that, that that's fundamental repentance is like one of the first things you learn as a believer. Where did he get that? Jesus' first words, repent, turn to God and trust in him. Thomas Carlyle has a wonderful quote on this. And Thomas Carlyle actually is not a guy to be admired. He had a lot of faults, but this statement he really got right. Of all acts of man, repentance is the most divine. The greatest of all faults is to be conscious of none. Carlos says it's actually good to repent because it makes you, it means that you're aware that you're a broken, sinful person. Corey Ten Boom, who was a hero in the Dutch underground and spent part of the Second World War in a German concentration, in a Nazi concentration camp, talked about repentance and she said this, four marks of true repentance, acknowledgement of wrong, a willingness to confess it, a willingness to abandon it, and a willingness to make restitution. The great thing about that statement is that Jesus has made our restitution for us that Jesus has made all things right. We may need to make restitution between one another, but Jesus has paid that price. Brothers and sisters, repentance is part of following Jesus. But there's another word that Jesus uses here in this verse. He says, repent and believe. In other words, put your trust in me above all else. The, the, the verse I can take you to that's the most obvious, even if you're not a Christian, you probably have heard this verse before. It's the most famous verse, uh, probably in all of scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Belief is trusting in Christ for our salvation. If we're going to follow Jesus, the first step and a step that we take every day thereafter, moment by moment, hour by hour, day by day, is a step of faith. It's repent and believe. It's repent and believe in the good news of the gospel. The second observation here is not just faith, but coming back to that overarching word of following. I've got a really goofy picture I'm going to put up on the screen here. And, and there's, there's Jesus is the ichthus there, and, and all the rest of us are the, are the fish following. It's not all that great of a picture, uh, but it kind of gets us the idea. 
And in Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through uh, and 17, Jesus finds James, uh, excuse me, finds Simon and Andrew, and he says to them, follow me. And it says, immediately, they left their nets, picked up their phones, and found Jesus on Instagram and began following him. <laughs> it doesn't say that. They didn't just observe from, they say, Jesus, this is a nice photo op. Why? Let's get to see in the background and then you can go on your way and we can say that we saw you. They leave everything and they get in line behind him and they follow him. In other words, they submit their will to his. They say, you're the leader and I am the active follower. Is that a prayer that you and I pray every day? Do we acknowledge that that's the reality that we hope for in our lives, that, that Jesus would lead and that we would follow? What, what does that look like in very practical ways? Well, let me give you a handful of quotes. I've done some, some looking this week at what different people say about following Jesus. And there's some wonderful statements out there. And I'm just going to share a handful of them with you. The first one's from Tim Keller, who it would be in my generation, kind of the, the leading reform spokesman from a pastoral point of view in our country. And Keller says this, Jesus says, I want you to follow me so fully, so intensely, so enduringly that all other attachments in your life look weak by comparison. I read that statement and I want to embrace it. For my own, I want it to be true for Tom Ricks, and I also want to run and hide at the same time because I look at that and say, I'm, I'm just so far from it, but it gives me hope that that's the direction that God wants to move me in. A.W. Tozer wrote this, a whole new generation of Christians has come up believing that it is possible to accept Christ without forsaking the world. Now, lest you think that Tozer is out there picking on the millennials and he doesn't like the way the young people in our country are going and, and there they go again, picking on the millennials, picking on the young people, saying everything that's wrong with them. A.W. Tozer was writing to a group of young people in the early 20th century. He was observing this about the people who would go on to be called the greatest generation, the, the men and the women who, who fought the Second World War. Those were, the, those were the young people to whom Tozer was addressing these, uh, this observation. This challenge has been around a long time. It's not new to us. The notion I can just you know, accept, but it doesn't really change my life. In more recent years, Billy Graham said the following, when we come to Christ, we know are no longer the most important person in the world. Christ is. Instead of living only for ourselves, we have a higher goal to live for him. Oswald Chambers, who wrote the devotional book, My Utmost for His Highest, along with a whole bunch of other stuff, said this, if I'm going to know Jesus, I must obey him. The majority of us don't know Jesus because we have not the remotest intention of obeying him. I want you to look at that sentence carefully because I would say that there, there are aspects of my life as a disciple of Jesus that still bear resemblance to that. I don't have the remotest intention of obeying him here. I've got obedience here and here and here. I like it really here. Jesus, don't, don't mess with that part of my life. Maybe it's where I go to self-medicate. Maybe it's where I go, whatever it is, whether it's in my thought life or, or in practice of my life where I decide that I know better and I can take care of myself. And even though God says it's harmful and it's wrong, I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway because quite frankly, it just makes me feel a little bit better and that's what I need in the moment. I have no intention of following Jesus there. And I would venture to say that every one of us have one or two areas in our lives like that where it just seems so frightfully difficult to give it up. And yet Jesus is calling us to follow him in all things. 
one more uh, from a Baptist pastor, but we like him anyway. Scott McKnight, uh, current day uh, uh, seminary professor, said this. Those who aren't following Jesus aren't his followers. It's that simple. Followers follow, and those who don't follow aren't followers. The fo- to follow Jesus means to follow Jesus into a society where he defines the society, where justice rules, where love shapes everything. To follow Jesus means to take up his dream and to work for it. Are we willing, are we excited, are we desiring, even though we're going to get it wrong sometimes, to follow Jesus? I love that the founding uh, fathers and, and mothers of Green Tree Community Church, when they were working on our original mission statement, inserted the phrase, we want to serve Jesus in joyful obedience. I don't obey Jesus to, to earn his love. I obey Jesus because he has loved me and he's called me to follow that love into the world where he wants to make a difference. If we're going to follow Jesus, we have to understand that it's faith, it's following, but also the context of our following is friendship. In Mark chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, Mark writes this, and he appointed 12 so that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. So there's certainly work to be done. There's certainly, and we're going to be talking about that a lot this fall. What did, what did disciples of Jesus do with their time and with their energy and the gifts and the talent that God has given them? There's certainly works to be done, but it begins with a relationship that they might be with him, that a friendship might be established. Uh, I got a call this week from my uh, oldest son, Nathan, and he has four kids. And the third oldest, Valerie, we call her Valzy. Valzy started kindergarten this week. And she started full day kindergarten this week in the school district uh, where they go to school. And Nate said, I I went to pick Valzy up. She got in the car and and, uh, and when she got out of the car that morning, she was so excited. She was so happy to go. She gets back in the car and I said, so Valzi, how was it today? And he said, she, she looked at me and said it the way only a five-year-old could say it. And she said, dad, that was really a long day. <laughs> now, here's what I know about my granddaughter. She is a social butterfly. She thrives on being around people and on creating friendships and on creating relationships. So I think what she meant to say to her dad was, you know, there are a couple things that I didn't particularly care for in this experience. One was there's some woman standing up there all day telling me what to do and when to do it. And if I want that, I just stay home. I get plenty of that at the house. I don't need to go someplace else for it. But I think secondly, what she was saying was, I haven't found my people yet. I haven't quite found where I'm going to land and, and, and develop my relationships. And I would guess that within two or three weeks, uh, if I call Valzi on the phone and say, How, it's, how's it going? She's probably going to define kindergarten for me by the friends that she has, by the relationships that she's establishing. Jesus is seeking to establish a relationship first and foremost. Yes, there's opportunity to serve. Yes, there's opportunity to go and to care and, and to give of ourselves. But first and foremost, let's go be with Jesus. And notice not only the order that, that being with him comes before going out and doing any work, but also notice that he's inviting us to be with him. When I talk to Cindy about my dad, I might say, oh, I was with so-and-so. Uh, if you're under the notion that being a follower of Jesus means that Jesus comes and he hangs out with you and, and, and that he's there to serve you and he's there to kind of listen to everything you need from him, you, you don't understand the Bible. Jesus isn't interested in that at all. In fact, he refuses that invitation. Jesus doesn't come to you on your terms. He doesn't come to me on my terms. Jesus says, you come follow me. And he says, let's be friends, but being friends means that you come and you be with me, that you leave those other things behind. 
and you focus on our relationship. You come and be with me and, and wonderful things will happen. The order is absolutely important. Are you desiring to be with Christ? Am I desiring to be with him? Let me give you a couple of examples of how Jesus looks at this friendship and his part of that friendship. In John chapter 15, Jesus says this, I no longer call, do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. Okay, well, what does that mean, Jesus? For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Jesus says the most important things that have been given to me from my heavenly father, I haven't hidden them from you. As my friends, I've shared them with you openly and freely. You think about when a friend has some kind of success. You think about when a friend has something really great happen to them. They, they want to share it with everybody else around them. And Jesus is saying, I, I have the words of life. And since you're my friends, I'm giving them to you. I want you to be in relationship with me. Later on, the next chapter in John's gospel, in John 16, the disciples are kind of freaking out because Jesus is saying that I'm leaving and, and, and they kind of have the idea he's going to the cross and, and he's talking about going back into heaven and, and they're really kind of panicking because they've been with him for three and a half years. They don't really know anything other than being right there with Jesus and they're kind of scared and Jesus says, I've got to tell you the truth. It's actually to your advantage that I go away for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. That's the gift that our friend Jesus wants to give us. He wants us to understand not some truth, not a little bit of truth, not, not a truth that is a moving target that might be true today and not true tomorrow. He wants to give us the truth. And he's going to do that through the power of his Holy Spirit. In other words, Jesus is the most faithful friend you could ever have. As much as I want to be a good friend of the people around me, I, I don't even, it, it would be an injustice to Jesus to say I pale in comparison to that. I'm not in the same universe as that. Jesus is the deepest and dearest friend we could possibly have. And I love the fact that when he calls us to follow, he does so in the context of relationship, that our Lord calls us his friends. How do we apply this this morning? What are, what are some takeaways when we think about actually following Jesus? Well, very briefly, let me run back through these four words. The first word was repentance. And I, and I read a great book on this years ago. Uh, Jack Miller actually passed away in the mid-1990s. But wrestling with this question, do I really understand and practice repentance daily in my relationship with Jesus, Jack Miller wrote this wonderful book, A Daring Call to Surrender. And I would encourage that for you if you're kind of struggling with you know, I kind of like what you're saying there, but I don't fully grasp it. That'd be a great short, it's not a long book. That'd be a great short read that would help you understand repentance because it needs to be an active daily part of our lives. Repentance should be something that I'm engaged in every day. Secondly, though, we talk about belief. We talk about putting our faith in Christ. And so the question is, have I put my faith in Christ? What exactly does that mean? How would I go about doing that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Paul says this in Romans chapter 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. In other words, made right before God. And with the mouth, one confesses that they're saved. They confess that they believe in Jesus. So I found a prayer. It's not perfect, but I found a prayer that reflects this. We're going to put it up on the screen, and I'm going to shut up for about 25 seconds here in just a minute. If you have never 
Put your faith in Christ. If you have never made a cognizant decision, I am going to, to trust Christ for my salvation. This will be something you can just read it and pray it in your heart. If you are a believer this morning, this would be a good reminder of what it means to have faith in Christ. So just read that on, on your own and then we'll, we'll wrap up. Then the fourth word we use, repent, believe, follow, is the notion of friendship, is the notion of relationship. And I think where a lot of believers struggle, I'll I'll say where I struggle, is really understanding, really seeing myself the way Jesus sees me. Because I think I would be pretty quick to say, well, I don't deserve to be a friend of Jesus. I certainly don't act like I believe in him as much as I confess I do. And, and I fall woefully short. Therefore, Jesus must be disappointed in me. Jesus must actually, maybe because heaven has a rule that says he has to be my friend, he's going to. He's going to be nice to me in the lunchroom, but he's not really going to, he's not really going to be my friend. And we fall into listening to that lie that somehow what I do or what I don't do has a bearing on Christ's love for me. And Michael Card has a wonderful statement about this based on Romans chapter 2, verse 4, that I think is very helpful here. He says this, we cannot earn more of his love with good behavior, even as we do not forfeit his love when we fail. He loves us as we are and not as we should be. We don't change so that he will love us. He He loves us so we can change. And then he quotes Romans. It is his kingdom that leads us to repentance. I didn't do this in the first two services, but I'm gonna gonna do this right now. I think maybe I'm supposed to. We're gonna read that out loud. Because hearing it's one thing, saying it for yourself is another. Let's read this together out loud. We cannot earn more of his love with good behavior, even as we do not forfeit his love when we fail. He loves us as we are and not as we should be. We don't change so that he will love us. He loves us so we can change. It is his kindness that leads us to repentance. Will you pray with me? Father, we praise you this morning for your grace and your mercy to us. Father, we thank you that the Lord Jesus calls us to follow him in the context of faith, and in the context of friendship. Lord, we, uh, sometimes we just get it wrong and, and we're wrong-headed and we, we rebel against you. We confess that to you this morning. There are other times when we just lose our way and, and we forget the one to whom we belong and, and we end up uh, despairing and we end up confused and, and uh, we just need to get back to being with you so that your word and your spirit can indwell our hearts and our minds. So Lord Jesus, we thank you for inviting us to follow you. We pray that you would teach us the richness of that and the glory of that so that it would nourish our souls. It would empower us to, to trust in you, even in the difficult places where, where it, maybe it has been said in the past, we have, we have no intention of following you there, Lord, that you would break through our, our, our silly defenses that we've put up because we're scared or that we're hurt and that you would show us that following you is life-giving. We pray in your name.
Amen.